0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santee, and I've got really, really, really great guests that I'm excited about today. Um, uh, I just recently read a book that had been on my Amazon wish list for far too long. Honestly, I should have... Or just ordered it and, um, and read it a long time ago. But the book is called Supporting Gender Diversity in Early Childhood Classrooms, a Practical Guide. There's eight authors. So I'm going to get through all eight, eight names and then I'll tell you which three are with me today. Um, Ensian Pastel, uh, Katie Steele, Julie Nicholson, Cindy Marer, Julia Hennick, Jonathan Julian, Tess Unger, and Nathaniel Flynn. So today on the show, I've got uh, Ensian and Julie and Nathaniel or Thaniel. So would each of you just take a minute to um, tell tell listeners whatever you want them to know about yourself um, and then we'll jump in.
2: I'll, I'll begin. Thank you. My name is Ncn, and I uh, guess I want people to know that I am a preschool teacher. I work with children ages three to five at a parent-teacher cooperative school in Berkeley, California. And I've recently um, launched into a director role as well, teacher director role, Um, but not at the time of the book. And uh, I also have been working with this material, um, doing trainings and talks along with some of our other co-authors and then some of our other community partners um, and collaborating partners, um, we call them. And I think more will emerge as we talk.
0: Yeah, thank you. I guess I'll just assign Julie, would you go next?
1: (laughs) Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Julie Nicholson. And I am in my 16th year of being a professor at Mills College, which is a small uh, social justice and uh, equity-oriented college in Oakland, California. Um, And I work in early childhood and uh, leadership, I do a lot of I do research, I write a lot of books and articles, all on issues around intersectional, you know, justice for young children for families and the workforce serving them. Um, And I will Add that I just launched with a co-director and dear colleague, LaWanda Wesley, a new nonprofit called the Center for Equity in Early Childhood Education, and we are going to do a lot of work on anti-racism in early childhood, and we're excited about it. So. Great,
0: great, um, and thank you for that work. It's much needed, as <laughs> as all of you are aware of. Um, and Nathaniel, uh, I'm Nathaniel or Nathaniel,
3: and. I'm also a preschool teacher. Um, just trying to think. Oh, it hasn't already been said. Like we're we're co collaborating We've been presenting on this stuff, but we have a lot of lived experience in the inside and outside of the classroom, um, working with kids and working with kids to understand adults in their lives. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited that you want to talk about this too.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and I just want to mention that all the all the authors were were invited. It's just really hard to get nine people's schedules, um, in several different time zones to, to coordinate, especially, um, uh, during a weird year, like we're in, like we're in now. So thank you. Um, I'm glad you're all able to be here. Um, I want to, I do want to start by just saying that, um, that I really, um, i am grateful for this book and um and I and I encourage it and I hope I'm gonna give you guys a chance here in just a minute to make your case and I hope that everyone is still listening um that tuned in for this episode and um and that it didn't uh, make anybody sort of didn't sort of turn off any listeners but I, I so I want to start um by by talking a minute about why it was so important for me to have this um I um my youngest is is what you would call transgender gender expansive in the book you call tge um, they are twenty six years old and um, I come from a very uh, fundamentalist background and have held deeply very harmful biases around the idea of gender at one point in my life and um, and just so grateful all the time that um, that that people were brought into my my um my circle that helped me think differently before it became an issue for me and my children um and their friends who were always around in the living room when they were when they were all growing up so um so this has given me um a little bit more comfort um in how to talk and think and and am i using the right language and what should i do you know all that kind of stuff because i want so so much to be doing Good things around this topic, uh, both from my personal experience and just for you know the lives of the children that that I work with and of their teachers and parents and families. So thank you um, for that um, from from myself personally. But here's here's the quote, and this is from very early in the book. This is from like page ten, I think, <laughs> very early. But but you wrote, um, "Why should you and your coworkers put in all this effort?" We deeply believe that the real answer is that it is simply the right thing to do. This work is how we can truly honor, support, and empower all young children. It's the right thing to do to trust children and to believe them when they tell us who they are. And that is enough reason for us. However, there's also a sadder truth and a more compelling reason for some to become engaged in this work. And that is the simple fact that children are being harmed by the way things currently are. There's so much in that, in that statement. Um, but I, I appreciate that you just laid it out. Children, children are being harmed and we have an opportunity now to, to make the difference that we all said we wanted to make when we came into the work, right? So um, w- would, you get, would you all just sort of speak to, speak to that quote and then we'll go from there wherever you wanna go with it.
3: And I can jump in with a piece um, because it's, it's so true to my lived experience that knowing a trans woman in my early childhood made a huge difference in me in my own life Um, and in the lives of like all of my peer group Um, because when I did come out they had an idea of what I was talking about Mm -hmm. right like it could be my story and my process instead of what is this thing Mm -hmm. that you say you are Um, which was a feeling that I got from a lot of like older folks in my in my space. Like I, I think I did a lot of, ex, of explaining to an older generation, but my peers were ready to greet me. and that made all the difference um, when I was ready to talk about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think a few of the things that I want to say about this, this quote is, one, it's like sometimes it's very easy for us to to, to see when harm is happening. Like if, if you... Um, You know, if there's a child who a teacher is, like, actively misgendering, um, then from an an outside observer who has even a a little bit of experience with gender diversity, I think, could tell that that's not okay. Um, But there's also um, a great deal of harm that's pretty hard to see unless you're tuning in really closely. And um, in my experience, also... As a transgender person, when I was a child, uh, I had just n- no no models, no language, no idea of who I could be um, or who I was. Um, I just knew that I felt kind of wrong and different, and it made me very quiet. And uh, I think I, I also had a cautious temperament, um, but that coupled with not being myself reflected anywhere. Um, I think caused me to, to shut down quite a, a deal, a, a big deal in uh, in my school environment, in preschool and then up through elementary school and really all the way through um, till high school. Um, and that like, th- there was no, there was nothing that you could look at and say, oh, this child is being harmed here. It was because of the lack of information and the lack of um, language to describe anything other than binary gender—that um, that this harm was happening and still is today. So we, there's a, a bit of double sidedness of the harm that comes from intentionally withholding information, intentional bias from you know from I I don't believe in that. Gender diversity stuff. I believe in binary gender, in male and female. Um, but then there's also just the the harm that that comes when we don't uh, notice that we're perpetuating gender binary. Right. Yeah. And then the other piece, I guess, that I also want to add is that it, we're not just talking about harm against the term that we use, the sort of umbrella term we use for everyone outside of the gender binary in this book is TGE, which stands for trans and gender expansive. Um, And we just use that as a really broad umbrella term, meaning not fitting into male identity and expression or female identity and expression. Um, But the harm that we're actually talking about is to all children, because we think having a binary gender framework is... Um, limiting. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's harming children's ability to grow and expand themselves and develop different parts of themselves, um, whether or not, regardless of, of what their identities are, or turn out to be later in life.
0: Yeah, that was that was one of the the ways that the the book challenged me to, to think differently. Um, that idea that all children are being harmed, or could be harmed. So I want to come back to that. Um, but first I want to let Julie go um, and see if there's anything you want to share or add on there about the quote. And then, and then we can go back maybe to that idea of it's not sure. just the, the children who are um, TGE that might be being harmed.
1: So I'm going to build on my wonderful colleagues and take it in a slightly different direction. And that is as a cisgender female in a position of privilege in the college, as a teacher educator and working with teachers learning the craft of early childhood pedagogy and those in the field who are already practicing and receiving a lot of professional development, professional learning. um, We talk a lot about some of the central ethics and and kind of values of our field, the importance of relationship, mm-hmm. the importance of children feeling a sense of safety, of fe- creating um, environments that help children and their families feel welcome, right? Yeah. And doing no harm. I mean, these are sort of just so fundamental that we take them for granted sometimes. That they're just embedded in everything we talk about. Mm-hmm. And going back to what NC and Nathaniel talked about, these subtle what we call in the book micro invalidations, where a child is through the language or through just nonverbal cues not feeling that sense of visibility of who they are in their developing identity. They don't feel that sense of safety because there's just something not quite including. Mm -hmm. of who they are and who they're, they're figuring out who they are, you know, they're in that process of developing identity, but it's, it's not open enough to create a safety. And so it's like harm through a thousand cuts, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's the language you use, the way that you are creating curriculum, guiding children throughout the day. And, and if there's just a lot of ways like NCN was saying that we're not affirming Creating that relational safety and welcome and validation, it goes against everything that we are called to do in Mm -hmm. our field. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I do a lot of work in is in trauma-responsive practice. And what do we talk about? Whether children have had experiences of trauma or just stressors of everyday life Mm -hmm. and growing up, our work is to create environments that reduce stress and buffer stress and support healing and coping and thrivance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so just coming back to that place of this is necessary and urgent for all children, because we don't know who they're going to be. And we want to create an openness that supports every child to feel visible, mm-hmm. to feel safe and welcome in our presence.
0: Yeah. So thank you. Um, one of the things that I, I, can't, I'm, I guess I'm just going to start with most of my sentences with one of the things I appreciate or one of the things I'm grateful for in this book. Um, but the, fir- the first chapter, I think, is just called Gender 101. And, and you lay out so um, articulately and excessively um, some, of the, some of the vocabulary, some of the language that can be confusing. Um, I, I sent that or shared that chapter with my husband who doesn't work with young children, (laughs) just because I, I know that's something that we talk about between us is I don't want to, um, I don't want my, my language to, you know, be a micro invalidation or a microaggression as you talk about. So, and you have a glossary, right. Of, of some important, um, terms that, that need some clarification for a lot of us. Um, So I've got a list here of things I want to come back to, (laughs) but so before we get back to the all children, um, Julie, or any of you really, would you, would you talk about what a micro invalidation and a microaggression might be, might look like, um, so that, so that we can start thinking about that or the listeners can start thinking about that with me.
1: To either of you, I've been doing a lot of talking. (laughs)
2: I've heard. I can't remember who I heard this metaphor from. I wish I did so I could credit them. But I heard the metaphor that a micro invalidation or microaggression is like it's like getting your arm pinched. It's not like a huge moment of oppression. It's a small thing that um, you know by itself. That's, that's get, my arm's going to feel better shortly, but if I keep getting pinched in that spot again and again throughout the day, it's going to start to really bother me. And now I'm going to have a sore there. And then it might even get infected. If instead of healing, I get pinched more and more and it builds up and it becomes a huge, terrible weight to live with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that metaphor because it feels true. Yeah. And an example of a, a, a gender-based microaggression um, could be like, um, when you, you use language, like boys line up here, girls line up there. Uh, because, uh, I would be like, okay, where do I line up now? I have to pick one of these things. that doesn't feel right for me. Um, and maybe I'm a young child and I don't even know how to articulate that. I just know that I'm supposed to be in this group, but it doesn't feel quite right. Mm-hmm. There's lots of examples, misgendering someone, g- getting called a pronoun that doesn't feel right to me, getting called an old name or a name that doesn't feel right to me is an example of a microaggression. Somebody avoiding talking about me because they're worried about messing up my pronouns yes. is another <laughs> microaggression, not Making eye conduct or making too much eye contact—like there's many ways because they're based on sort of what the social cues are, yeah. um, you know, of the uh, of of the the larger culture or just the specific program. Um, but I'm sure you all have things to add to that, Julie and Daniel.
3: I think for me, there's a piece of, um, in addition to what Ntians talked about oftentimes kids already know like they have that feeling that like this fits there this doesn't fit um and that they're often looking for the people who can tell them they're safe right so it's not like there's there's the piece of yes this will mount up and hurt and there's this piece of like um one of our colleagues has a story of a kid just being like I'm just going to drop that. I like this character, like double trouble on Spin she She-ra. and see what someone says. <laughs> and if they're receptive to that, maybe I'll tell them more about me.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Um, and that if they are sort of like, Oh, I've never seen that. And moving on or like, what, well, but what superheroes like, do you like, do you like to be Superman? Right. Like that's gonna, that's going to shift the narrative in a certain way. Um, and I know it can feel really overwhelming because everything we say can shift a narrative and can um, affect people. And I think there's an overarching piece of, as we do this work and as we reflect on what we've done and the fact that it's relational. So we can go back and say, Hey, you know, yesterday when I asked you, if you like Superman, I'm sorry, I didn't think to ask you what heroes do do you like, or what do you like about double trouble? I don't know about them, but tell me. Uh
2: Um,
3: So like those pieces uh, where, um, in our language and in our thoughts, we have these ways of sort of directing kids without thinking about it um, because they're so they're so keyed into who we are as well. Like they're listening to us all the time um, mm-hmm. to try and figure the world out. Um, and I'm sort of losing my train of thought, but in <laughs> there, I, like a, the piece I wanted to add into NCN's is that there's, there's both this like danger and this opportunity
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, to find those moments for kids to feel affirmed and connected um and like there's just possibilities so like, they don't have to shut themselves down um another story from that was um there was kids I was hanging out with recently who were sort of like oh I want to be this I want to pretend to be this who can I be in Star Wars I'm a girl I have to be Princess Leia and uh-huh. I was like well you're pretending you could be anyone you want to be and they were like oh yeah <laughs> okay but I do want to be the Princess Leia and I'm like cool uh-huh. but like just just that little reminder uh uh-huh. <laughs> um, like it's pretend like you can pretend to be anything right? yeah um so yeah i'm not i think i'm a little bit wondering but i'm like coming back to that
0: Um, that's what we do i don't know if you've listened to any episodes we (laughs) wonder um
3: that piece of understanding like the the ways in which small small things can make um different like small small things over time can make big differences Mm -hmm. yeah um, in many different directions yeah
1: and I think I'll just add to that that um, it's small and it's big. I think some of the things that we talk about are, are this big idea of what our image of the child is, you know, and what that means is like how we imagine what children are capable of, what they know, mm-hmm. what they can know at their ages and it's this work, any, any equity and social justice work requires so much of our ability to build a practice of reflecting without defensiveness and just noticing maybe how new ideas can, can create feelings of worry and stress in our bodies, but noticing that and not acting on it or not letting it stop you, right, from mm-hmm. being curious and leaning into that mm-hmm. feeling. and. One of the noticings that's really interesting for folks, and I will just speak for me again, I started this work as a adult, as a professor, and it started with some students coming up to me and saying in the beginning of a course, it was our first day of the class. And they came up afterwards and said, thanks for class. It was really interesting. It was great. But why didn't you ask us in the introductions to share our pronouns? Mm -hmm. And I said, I I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I mean, I do, but I don't. Right. So come to my office and this was many years ago and tell me, and there was a discomfort and a worry, but leaning into that, come and talk and help me kind of learn what you mean by that. Right? right. But going back to this idea of the image of the child, we'll find when we lean into the curiosity of this work around what it means to be gender um, to, to work for gender justice is we imagine that young children are capable of having agency, self-determination, and opportunities to tell us, to know themselves about what their interests are, what their favorite color is, you know, what kinds of, um, you know, if they celebrate Halloween, what they want to dress up mm-hmm. as, and so on. And so, and we support them in having choice in our centers, in our classrooms, and our practice We feel like that's a central part of supporting children's learning and development, right? So we trust that they know certain things about themselves and we trust them to make choices that engage them because they've made, they've opted into what part of the classroom they want to play in, let's say. But somehow we have this image of the child that they can't know their identity.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's a tension that we bring forward in that uncomfortable, like, just notice this. You know, you're trusting the child to have certain wisdom and certain knowing, but not this kind of knowing. And that's a tension. And I think if we can notice that without blame or shame, but just say that it's not, it's incongruent. And then we pair that with that noticing with something called emergent listening that we love. And we quote a lot from Bronwyn Davies, mm-hmm. who says we can't just listen as usual, where we listen and then we're ready to kind of um, respond with our mindsets and kind of reinforcing what we already know in our response. But we have to listen to this child and what they're telling me with a willingness to change our mindsets based on what we hear. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you allow yourself to say, huh, I support children of agency and self-determination and know certain things, not allowing them to tell me that they're a boy or they're a girl, or they want to wear this clothing, or they want to use these pronouns, or they want to be a princess, or, they, mm-hmm. you know, and if I'm in a, recognize, boy, I need to notice that and then be willing to change my mindset based on what I heard them say. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful combination for for us leaning into that learning that Mm -hmm. can help a child feel heard, feel visible, feel respected.
0: And I think what I've heard, um, I know that what I've heard a lot of people say is, well, they're too young to understand sex. Well, we're not talking about understanding sex, right? We're talking about trusting that they know who they are and how this feels for them, um, sort of is, is how I, I try to break it down for myself when, um, because I, I don't want to get into a conversation about the morality (laughs) of it with someone. Um, I just want them to see this child and, um, you know, maybe the morality stuff shifts as we go, but I just, I just want people to say, um, I don't under, I don't understand it, but it's okay. And I am going to keep that emergent listening that you're talking about. I'm going to keep watching and I'm going to keep listening and see what I can learn about you from you because you're the expert on you, even if you're three or four. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that, that's another thing that I've been challenged Um to, to shift for myself as an adult. Um, so like I said, I wanted to go back to Nancy and what hey, you were talking I, about. Oh, oh, please. I, yes.
2: I, I think we need to respond a little bit more to that. Um, statement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's true. People say it and well, they, they say it in different ways. They say children are too young to understand sex, which I think we need to tease apart a little bit, but they also yeah. say children are too young to hear to learn words like transgender. They're too young yeah. to know about gender, right? Um, but we're actually teaching children about gender all day, every day, in pretty much every sentence where we use a pronoun for someone where we you know because gender because binary gender is uh, so pervasive in our society, we're teaching children binary gender from day one, from before day one, when we're gendering children before they're even born. Um, And they're learning that we might not notice that we're teaching them, but we are. Um, And so when we talk about, you know, adjusting our framework from a binary gender framework to a gender expansive framework, um, we're talking about let's we're, we're, we're constantly teaching children all of the things that we are just unconsciously doing um, in our society, in our culture, in our lives. Um, let's bring a little more intention to that. And let's make sure um, what we're teaching by modeling is actually more reflective of who people are and um, and more inclusive and supportive of, of mm-hmm. who people are. Um, so that's one piece. And then there's also this conflation when people use terms like sex yeah. um, between sex and sexuality and gender, which totally are interrelated, but they're not the same things at all mm-hmm. and um, and so being able to tease those apart is is a lot of what we do in the that first chapter with the gender 101 mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah um so boy now i don't know which direction i want to go <laughs> um but thank you for stopping me and and offering that that um that extra i i um i appreciate that um so just because i said i was going to let's let's jump back to that the that initial piece about harming children um you each of you in your answers and your, your discussion so far has kind of talked about the potential for harm for those children who, who, um, you know, don't feel like they fit that binary, but could you, could you be a little bit more specific about how it can actually also harm all the other children around um, and what you mean by that?
3: Um, I, one of the pieces that I can speak to is one of the things I see a lot Um And I've worked uh, with infants through preschoolers um, is kids self-censoring to the identity that's been presented to them. Um, So whether that's I can't ride bikes, I'm a girl, I can't um, play family, I'm a boy, um, or I'm supposed to be a boy. Like those kinds of things, like some of, and um, there's a piece that I say of sort of living the stereotype of like living into the stereotypes they see around them. So I'm a boy, I'm supposed to build with blocks. I'm a girl, I'm supposed to play family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be like, I'm a boy who is drawn to blocks and that could be a wonderful thing. Um, and that kid's also going to need to know about how to be in a family, right? Like that kid's most likely is in a family. That kid is most likely going, going to want to form family again like, in their lives. Um, and that to cut yourself off from those things because it's how it's been presented to be yourself Um, or how those are the things that you've seen in the world that tell you. Um, And that very young children can get very narrowed down in, you know, like a friend of mine has a story of her daughter telling her she can't be a doctor because boys are doctors. (laughs) Right. Um, There's also a lovely story from a priest school that my partner works at that is like, why would you be a doctor you're a boy girls are doctors right? <laughs> um, like go like kids can get into these stereotype space okay. and then then live to that um yeah. and that when they have the tools to be reflective when they have people around them that help them go like can you think about that with me like what do you remember um and like to let that be a question or a theory that they're throwing out in the world as opposed to something they have to live by like, to create a culture where they're also asked to think about things mm-hmm. um and to make like to make choices, and then be willing to make other choices later on, um, is a different model and a different and a thing that I think is much more healthy for all of us to be able to have that curiosity and ask those questions and, think, and realize we were wrong about something and have a sense of what to do after.
1: And I think it's for all of us, you know. If you have a system that forces things like Daniel was saying on one side or the other, probably anybody, Heather, in an audience of folks could stand back and say, this system that has forced things to be either female or male has complicated things for me and made certain things, as Daniel was saying, out of reach. Not, you know, out of the social norm of what it's supposed to be for me to be successful as a cis male or a cis female. Mm -hmm. So that if you are a female who loves fly fishing and playing the stock market and being, you know, having a certain kind of assertive leadership style in the workplace, it's not supported through that kind of a Mm -hmm. strict gender norm, right? The same for cis men who are told it's not a male behavior to want to cook or sew or knit or so like daniel's saying you're having to invisibilize part of who you are it dehumanizes the complexity of who we are as human beings and then we get into folks who are trying to play to those social norms and be successful and you sometimes see that what we call hyper masculinity Having I mean, to be so tough and so, you know, kind of um, aggressive and and um, even harmful in order to feel like the societal messages are saying you're successful as a male, right? So that's mm-hmm. not that's harmful too. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just it's not it's recognizing that any system that is saying either this or that is flattening the human variation and human diversity that's actually present in all of us, Mm -hmm. just not recognizing that. Mm -hmm. And that's harmful.
2: Yeah. I'll add that when we give talks or trainings, this is kind of where where we start, is by asking people to reflect solo or in small groups on some of their own um, experiences growing up, messages that they received about gender messages that you received, because it looks different for each person. And sometimes it's contradictory, um, you know. Uh, and then also to kind of reflect on ways that we've each been limited based on gender, um, because of our gender, because of how we're being gendered by other people. And then we sort of get together and we're like, okay, so what what like are all these traits associated with binary gender and we kind of do it together pop ed style and fill in these these boxes and construct, well, what is binary gender um, as a paradigm, right? It's not just one thing, it's able to encompass different frameworks um, within it, but the, what it always is, is two choices with penalties if you're not conforming well enough. Mm-hmm. And what that well enough means is like endless right you can never <laughs> yeah like right um so um and then so, an, another thing it's not just like we're limited in what we allow ourselves to be also as young children we're in this moment i mean our where our our, our brains are like having this exceptional moment of, of formation and it never stops, but it becomes uh, much slower. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Um, And so what I am playing with right now and believing that I can or can't do is actually literally changing my brain Um, and it's going to affect me for the rest of my life. And then Okay that that there's that, there's this other piece that I don't know if we're going to get into it later but there's also like it's not just like oh well that's sad because I didn't get to play with cars and so maybe I didn't develop my like spatial coordination and as as much but it's also like oh yeah it's sad because there's this whole system of patriarchy um where <laughs> One of those boxes is like actively being oppressed by the other, and um, and that relies on the idea that there's only two genders, mm-hmm. um, and so that like is what we're kind of like stepping children for um, it, when we don't interrupt binary gender pervasiveness in their lives is to be able to be in this um, this system that allows. Uh, vast inequalities
0: yeah. um so I just had a question that I was sort of, of playing through whether I wanted to ask or not and now it's gone entirely so it doesn't matter what I decided I'm so I'm sorry about that um oh Do you well, want so a, this a was... moment to think I can add
3: one more thing oh to please yeah this topic um I think there's also a piece that I also hold is that there's this piece about being the person who hurt someone Um, like there's a a reason for kids to know this so that they're ready to know their friends as their friends grow and come out. Like the difference between a 10 year old getting to say, Hey, this is me just so you know, I'm updating my name. um, And their friend being able to be like, okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Versus their friends, like having this huge moment of like having to unpack and learn. I think a lot of us can think of a time when we found something like we found out something in the world that didn't, didn't mesh with what we knew before or we'd been taught wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's the discomfort in ourselves that happens and there's also that, that, that peace that can bleed out onto other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part of what's important about like knowing and growing and, and having this information um, is that we're in a world where transgender people exist. Like that, is, that is, has always been true. That will always be true. And there's been layers and layers of different ways that people have accepted and not accepted that. Um, and in many ways, the, the culture that I think we've been very much referring to is, is, is a white normative culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, like I remember hearing Alok talk about like, this idea that we, have, we, were, we were new is a racist idea like it, it's discounting cultures, it's buying into one, one set of cultural norms, mm-hmm. um, that was intentionally propagated in order to control people. Um, and that, yeah, that, that were we're in this, like helping kids be ready to be curious and helping kids have the information to meet and greet the world around them. Um, and that I know for me, when I think about like the the harm that I've caused because I wasn't ready for the world like because the world I grew up in taught me certain things mm-hmm. like that in, like that in and of itself really hurts um and that like for me and for the people around me I want to be learning I want to be growing and I want the kids that I know to, uh, and that I work with to have the skills to do that too mm-hmm. not just because it might be them one day but because it might be someone they love one day
1: And I think what both of you are saying, Ancien and Daniel, is I can connect it to brain science and mm. the neurobiology is literally as the children's brains are developing, if they are exposed to language that normalizes the human variation in all ways, racially, linguistically, mm-hmm. gender, so on and so on, they're they're literally like laying down the Um, the opportunity in their brain where we are not socializing them to have bias, we are disrupting the unconscious bias, which is what Daniel was saying, if they are exposed to it from an early age, it's just part of what they learn about the world. Mm -hmm. That's normal for them. And what do we know is one of the main stressors that activates the stress response and our bias is novelty. So if you've learned about things being either this or that, and then when your friend shares news, I'm changing my name and my pronouns at 10 and it's novel and you've never heard about it before, you're more likely to have a bias. Mm-hmm. Literally because of that novelty factor and the way our brains work. And this is why Bruce Perry and others who do, you know, work, uh, and understand the way the brain works said it's it's so critical that we start children in their brain development those critical years off by exposing them to the range of diversity in the human race you yeah. know through language through people coming in and visiting our classrooms through the stories we tell through our the workforce through the classroom itself because again you're sort of putting into the children's brains that normalizing of what Daniel's saying was always there. Mm -hmm. So we're going to prevent the harm at a neurobiological level. That's powerful.
0: Yeah. And I think it's easier to do in my experience. It's easier to do when you have the child who's really sort of obvious, you know, says, I, I think I'm, I'm really a girl or, you know, um, or my name is going to be this or, um, any of those um, sort of gender expansive uh, kinds of experiences that, that you describe in the book um, it's, it's easy to then snap and say, Oh, we have to do something for this child. We have to change something about what's happening. Um, But, but the other, the case that you make so well is that we have to be doing this constantly because we won't always know which child is feeling um, othered by, by the way that we, are just going through our day. So it's, it's, for me, it's become a challenge to think about it every day and not just when one specific child shows me that maybe I have to think differently or act differently. Um, And it's, it's hard work, um, but not as hard as being the child on the receiving side of that um, and having to struggle uh, against all that you know, the microaggressions and invalidations and some are not so micro. (laughs) Um, So, so that's, that's um, another thing that, that I took from, from reading the book. I want to, um, because we just have a little bit of time left. um, uh, I know I didn't put a time limit on it, but I did tell you that we'd probably keep it to about an hour. So I think we're, we're getting a little bit close to that. So for folks who have been listening so far and they say, okay, yes. I get the why I'm behind you. Thank you. I'll buy the book. But in the meantime, <laughs> what are some hows? What are, what are some, what's some advice that that we can offer that you can offer to those folks who want to um, uh, do better for children?
2: Oh, can we say star can we do star? So this is a tool that we've developed. It's not, in the book but it is um is like reflecting on the book what are the four things to remember and here's an acronym and it's <laughs> star and what it stands for is stay in the present tune in to children adults and yourself Act to interrupt bias and reframe your worldview and it doesn't happen in a sequential order they kind of all happen at the same time or as you need pieces to fit whatever situation you're you're dealing with um but it uh but we can we can sort of just like say a, a bit about each of those pieces and then yeah. point to more resources maybe yeah
0: please
2: and i'll, I'll start with that we do love acronyms in uh, early childhood
0: <laughs> that's a very useful tool
2: we we have another gender constellation tool, but I don't think we have time to get into right now. But I'll I'll give no, you. No, they should the all buy the book,
0: and they'll see that one in the book.
2: We'll <laughs> we talk about it in our next in our other book? It, it don't, started don't we... in
0: this book, but then it developed more in the next. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, okay. Developed It sounds all. familiar, and this is the only one I've read. Anyway, yes, please. Yeah. talk Anyway,
2: about it's, it's all about space and stars, and so the S stay in the present. Is um, it's about And specifically in early childhood, uh, we just get to be with people who are like always in the present tense. And one of my favorite things about being a teacher is just getting to be present with kids and put aside all my adults, worrying about the future um, when I'm there and just being really, really present. Um, And we can carry that over into our worries and fears about oh gosh, this, this, this child that I'm reading as a boy wants to wear a dress. Um, but, but, but his, his dad is going to come pick him up. Uh, what's going to happen, right? Like I'm getting so worried about the next thing rather than just, okay, what's going to support, support, what is this child telling me right now? And what do they need right now? Um, and then also like, we have this tendency to be like, um, applying our adult understanding of something onto the children. And so it'll be like, oh, well, maybe this student is actually a transgender boy, or maybe this student is non-binary. But I'm using my adult understanding of gender, which actually doesn't apply to this person right in front of me. Like there may be connections, elements that resonate, but that's not going to serve them right now. Um, because this child is actively constructing who they are and they're not doing it with abstract adult ideas. They're doing it out of their own um, experience and their own imagination. And um, so it's like just this reminder to like put aside our fears about what's going to happen in elementary school and high school and in adulthood and put aside our desire to like diagnose Mm. and be just really present and be open to listening to what the child is actually telling us. And that goes into the next um, letter E for tune in. But would somebody else like to jump in and talk about about that piece? You're all such
0: good turn-takers.
3: (laughs) That's- I can can cover tune in, um, because it's this idea that like in the moment you're tuning, you're staying in the present, you're tuning in to like, what is this kid actually saying? What is this kid actually doing? Are they picking up the dress because it's blue are they picking up the dress because it's frilly are they picking up the dress because they've never picked one up before and this is their first chance like you don't necessarily know but like what can you see and observe um but you're also thinking about like creating a classroom culture where you're tuned into yourself um because i know for me there's a moment where i'm like is someone going to be upset about um like nt talks about like um, and I remember working in a classroom where we'd put skirts out. And of course, like all of the kids were like, all right, we need as many of these as there are in the classroom if we possibly can pull it off from our resources. Um, and my teammate was like, we post what the kids do. Like, of course, I'm putting pictures up. And I was like, my instinct was to like tell parents about it first, mm-hmm. as opposed to having them see pictures out of context. Um, and I realized like that was my own bias that I was carrying with. And like the parents came in and were like, oh, I'm so glad I got to see that. It made me laugh so much. <laughs> like, it was really fun. It was great to see them happy. Like all of those pieces, like the parents who came back to us, but, but um, so like the piece with tune in is like tuning into that moment and tuning into like your systems and your routines for sharing information and not trying to create like an exceptional piece until it's clearly something that other people need to talk about more, right? Um, so tune into your own reactions and then remember their reactions um tune into the kids um and the context and the the opportunities that you're giving to them and tune into their families um and create those relationships so that they are comfortable coming to you saying wow that made me really uncomfortable um because then you can be there to meet them to have the conversation about why Mm -hmm. um and what they're worried about and how that can open up um Open up one like their possibilities for tuning into their own kid and their own kid's needs, your possibilities for having an idea how to support the, the child in the context of their family. Um, like it, it's just, as we can communicate about these things, as we can be vulnerable about what makes us uncomfortable, um, like that can create possibility. Um, and so we want to tune into like to uh, tune into each other. Um, mm-hmm both because it's it's good practice and it creates safe spaces for kids and because like it creates possibilities for all of us.
2: And emergent listening that Julie was describing earlier is like a key tool in that process. And yeah. And I
1: would add to that, I feel like no matter what I teach with students or with folks in the field, I always say the place to start is trying to help discover and make visible the parts that are um, socialized into who we are from our backgrounds that we're not even aware of. So starting with just asking those questions, like, what messages of gender did I grow up with? Mm -hmm. You know, just making those visible to yourself so that you know how you're showing up. And you may not even be aware of the kinds of things that you take for granted, but believe or assume to be mm-hmm. true, right? So if you actually have to spend time thinking about that, <laughs> what messages did I grow up with or, you know, were reinforced? Um, and what do I agree with? What do I disagree with? I think that is a really important place for everybody to start. And then one other thing, and we, I think we do talk about this in the book, is giving yourself a ch- It will be a challenge. You can start. We suggest a whole day, and it may be that you start for a couple of hours, But just noticing in the course of a regular day, not changing anything, like literally a day in your classroom or a day in whatever work you do, noticing how often you are gendering Mm -hmm. in your language, in the stories you're telling and the assumptions you have. And just noting that it's powerful if you can write it down and do a little audit, but you just it's all part of that building awareness of what you've been doing on autopilot and when you notice what you've been doing on autopilot you're more likely to be able to have that little pause created is this aligned to my values is this what i want to do or can i do better right because that's Mm -hmm. such a huge part of disrupting our biased behavior is creating that moment of pause Mm -hmm.
0: it's tricky (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> right? It's that's a lot of, of
0: self-awareness and reflection and sort of vulnerability that not some of us aren't good at, but um, that's why I, I feel like that that opening quote and being just so blunt about how it can impact children if we don't do the work um, was, was stood out to me or seemed like the the a good start for the conversation. Um, Well, and
1: can I just add that that idea, though, of of, we love um, Zaretta Hammond, who does a lot of culturally responsive work in education, but she talks about how important it is to take bite-sized action. You know, if you're working for change, having grace for yourself and others, Mm -hmm. and just setting yourself up for continual learning Mm -hmm. by saying, I'm going to work on one or two small things, that bite-sized action I'm going to take for change and not overwhelming myself that I have to learn it all at once, not blaming myself when I make mistakes, Mm -hmm. saying it's like any other endeavor you're involved in. Learning takes risks and vulnerability, but the key is to keep working at it. Mm -hmm. It's hard for us and it's not so hard for the the younger kids. I mean, they just, right? I don't know if you want to speak to that, our preschool teachers, but we can socialize kids, and it just becomes normal. Their mindset; they,
0: they have less unlearning to do yep. than we do, I think, and and that just that that greater neuroplasticity and the the faster connecting that's going on um, makes it, which which just adds to the importance of the work. I think <laughs> to know that about children, and you've all talked about that a little bit. Were you getting ready to say something, Ancien?
2: Yeah, just we'll piggybacking off that. I think that the way that this identity formation is happening is largely through play with young children. And so for us, it's a lot about just like making, holding that space for play um, and keeping it a positive space for play and a, a space where where that doesn't turn into, you know, a bias, like full of bias, um, but that we can do that as adults as well. Like it's not only like this hard work process of like beating ourselves up because we're noticing all the things we're doing that are terrible. It's also like this, everybody gets to be on their own path to liberation and freedom. And the more that we notice, like, wait, why am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I walking this way because I was socialized this way? Or am I walking this way because I love to walk this way? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, The more that we can kind of do things that we love that are not harming other people, um, the more we get to just feel the the pleasure of um of life, of of bodies and of, of ourselves, and the more that we can bring that to children. So I think it's it's yeah, it's good to to think about bite size, but it's also like not it's not just doom and gloom. <laughs> <laughs> it gets to also be a celebration.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um so so we we're on A. We're on A, (laughs) making sure
2: that sandbox is a fun place of play. Um, A stands for acts to interrupt bias. And um, the, I mean, some of the things we say are to, you know, do that through inquiry, do that with curiosity, not with, uh, oh, this bias just happened. I'm going to solve everything as a teacher, Mm -hmm. but, um, oh, I'm going to put a pause in whatever is happening so that that, moment of bias doesn't become ingrained as just normal um, in the classroom but rather um, becomes a moment where we can do some thinking together mm. and it depends obviously what it is um, you know and it might be um, a child is being in- excluded it might be um, teasing it might be um, uh, we're noticing just binary gender choices only you um, It might be something that's happening among uh, teachers and staff or or families, but really thinking like, okay, we always need to be doing something. And sometimes what that something is, is like putting a mental note, like, okay, they just dealt with that pretty well. They're playing right now. Nobody looks sad. I'm not going to pause the play, (laughs) but I am going to... Make sure that I like incorporate this into the story that I'm planning to tell tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, because I don't want to just let it slide that now we think that um, whatever maybe a stereotype was was thrown out there, and then but then there, and it's always a judgment call of like when it when we really have to say something, chime in, or put a pause on the, on the play to help the children figure it out themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's always like you can do, you can make your own mistakes, you can have do overs. um, But you don't want to just not because you're not sure what to do. Mm -hmm. You need to at least come back to it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And for me, like, the way that I visualize that all the time is, like, thinking about this sandbox of possibility where play is happening, where children are getting to, like, yes, and build on each other and try out these different, like, facets of themselves. Um, And when, but they're also, like, constantly trying to create categories and make sense of things Mm -hmm. through rules. And so that's coming out all the time against each other as well. (laughs) So how are we like, as teachers helping to just, like, intervene slightly here and there to to, to let them continue expanding, mm-hmm. like, continue, like, yeah, um, trying out different things, using their imagination in play, and not just um, getting mad at each other for shutting each other down, mm-hmm. or internalizing that, oh, okay, I'm not going to do that again, because then this kid's going to, like, yell at me. Mm-hmm. Um, Those are all in act Interrupt Bias. And it can go, it can can be personal level, it can be relational level, it can be institutional level, you know, it can go all the way up and down. Um, In the book, I think we mostly focus on kind of like our power to interrupt bias in our classroom as teachers.
0: Mm -hmm. Because I think that feels more accessible like it's more easy to control that than some of the systemic things and some of the organizational things that might also need to be addressed but aren't as um always clear Um, not always in our
3: realm of influence
0: yeah 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 Right,
3: like this this is a place where we so often teachers have so much influence in their classroom but they don't necessarily depending on the administration depending on where the policies are set um the re- level of influence maybe in coordinating with other people. It may happen over time. It may um, be about move- building social movements as opposed to like here. Now I can say something. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that we often talk about in trainings is that you can keep it light to start. <laughs> like there's, you know, like your, your, um, your first intervention could be um, one of our co-trainers works or has worked at abundant beginnings in Oakland. And they talk about like, the the binary gender monster because that's a school where like monsters are fun and playful um and in they met like in their imaginary world like not everybody engages in the world that way but like talking about like oh I think I think the monster like the non-binary or the binary gender monsters is is sneaking into our conversation and like it can be fun and playful to to make those steps that like remind kids but also don't necessarily interrupt the moment Mm -hmm. um of of learning what they're doing in that process like it works it in um I'm just trying to trying to pull up the training in my brain to see if there was one <laughs> one other tip. Um, I, that we share.
2: I, I think that um, just like anti-bias education uh, the book has a great map for kind of how to do this, how to act to interrupt bias, and they have these like clarifying conversations that they talk about mm-hmm. um, where you're, in, you know, you're starting with inquiry or offering clarifying information, um, you're like stating values. Um, and they, they go into more detail with like lots of examples of how this can look.
0: It doesn't all have to be stop everything. We have to have a class meeting right? Yeah. in the moment, um, is, is what I am hearing. <laughs> I think. Yeah.
2: But sometimes it does, it's,
0: but <laughs> yeah. it doesn't always. Yeah. yeah.
2: Right. But it doesn't always. Yeah. And it's up to you to <laughs> do <laughs> But, um, and then the last one, R, stands for re, uh, reframe your worldview. And that's what uh, I think it's like the, in some ways, the first step before these other ones. Because, how are we gonna offer clarifying information about gender if we're still stuck in that binary gender framework? Mm-hmm. And like Julie was kind of describing what like these questions to ask yourself, we actually created a whole list of questions to ask yourself that are in, um, in the book. And at the end of each chapter, there's this like classroom audit tool where we just have all the questions listed. And then that's also available on our website. So you don't even have to have the book to have all of the questions and start asking yourselves questions. Um, And yeah. And noticing where is binary gender showing up, not just from me, but in my world throughout my day um, is really the first step here to reframing our worldview. And then also seeking out stories, seeking out counter stories. So if you are a cisgender person who maybe isn't familiar so much with, um, with other gender um, identities and expressions, just like really seeking out stories and they don't have to just be aimed at children you know you can watch movies you can read books look for who's writing them and who's Mm -hmm. um like authoring um and also be aware that like no two uh people are gonna like have the same view Mm -hmm. on gender and and what it is and and what it means and like how to do it um in a less harmful way like everyone's gonna have a different view and the more stories you can kind of spend time listening to in your genre of choice. If you like <laughs> science fiction, like great, there's these great new books now that we can read, you know, like um, there's there's a lot of ways to do it, but the I guess the, 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 what, the whole point of the reframe your worldview is that just starting to understand that gender isn't natural, gender is um, a social construct. It's a way of categorizing people based on a whole lot of things, including body parts and processes, roles, um, behaviors, mm-hmm. uh, emotions, proclivities, and um, and that we're all socialized with a certain framework for gender. And most of us are socialized um, with a binary gender framework. And how do we start to notice that and then shift towards other frameworks, more expansive frameworks for understanding gender. That's like the key that's gonna allow the other work to happen. Uh,
3: the only thing I would add to that is sh- is that like sharing that um, ever expanding gender universe, <laughs> but sharing that information um, with kids, like work in your own way and also find ways um, to start telling those stories to kids so that they do see the see you know they are more prepared for the diversity of the world,
1: mm-hmm.
3: more ready to 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 recognize it.
0: Yeah, it's a tremendous opportunity for all of us who are working with children to really have that sort of long-reaching impact that we all mentioned in our interview when we try, you know trying to get this job and they wanted to know why we wanted to work with children. Um, you know, we all talked about the rewards and the the impact we could have and. Um, I think this is this is a powerful way that that can become a reality, um, and and so thank you for your your contribution to that process and for the folks who are listening. Um, I have really enjoyed this. I have to give um, a, just one quick nerd shout out to Liz Nolasco, who sometimes is the co is a co host with me because she she saw me post that I was reading the book and she was like, oh, would you like to be connected with? one of the authors <laughs> and have them on the show. And so that sort of started the ball rolling and. Um, you is. Yes. Have- yeah. <laughs> she's, she's so great. I'm going to go look at pictures of her baby on Facebook now, cause that's what I do. <laughs> um, so you mentioned a website um, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to sh- tell folks how to find that.
2: It is www. Gender Justice in Early Childhood. (laughs) dot
0: com. Try them all. Try all the dots and see where it takes you. But we think it's calm.
1: calm. It is calm. It's definitely calm.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, I do want to wind down. But is there anything that you were like? I hope I get a chance to say this on the in this conversation, or something that you wanted to 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 end with?
2: I don't think we have time to talk about the gender constellation, but I do want to let people know, like there's, if we're trying to replace binary gender framework with another brain framework, it can be helpful to have kind of a metaphor or an idea of what that framework is. Um, And the one that we've been developing um, is this idea of constellations in the night sky, and you're like, in the process of drawing it and redrawing it. Um, But we have another book. That's a more academic book. It's called Radically Listening to Transgender Children um, with a subtitle that Julie can fill in. (laughs) Uh, No, that's
1: okay. Too academic for here. I think we're um, good. (laughs) And
2: what what we're just finishing up right now is also creating a comic book version of that longer, more academic book, which has a whole section on um, basically like gender frameworks and gender expansive frameworks. And we also give shout outs to some other people's frameworks that we like a lot. And, um, and it's all illustrated and that will be on the website soon. It's not quite posted yet, but folks are welcome also to email us like yeah. for an advanced uh, preview copy if uh, if it's not up by the time this podcast goes out. Yeah,
0: great.
2: And our email address and mailing list are also on the website. Perfect. Um, and I, I'll
1: just I, add that one of the
0: reasons
1: Oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. You go ahead. You go ahead, Julie. <laughs> One of the reasons why we wrote the second book is because as we wrote the first book and we looked at all the child development theories about gender, they were all based on binary. Uh, I mean, everything that you learn in your community college or your degree program you know, to be able to become a, an early childhood professional. Chances are, I bet 99% of the folks here have learned theories that reinforce gender binary with no room for question or, you know, other ideas. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, we want a book that's really practical and has strategies for teachers to use right away mm-hmm. on Monday morning. But we also have to help the researchers and others have theories that represent what we know gender to be, and so that's what that second book is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you you laughed about the the radically listening to transgender children being too academic, but I guarantee you, there's listeners who are writing it down <laughs> because it is a nerd oh, show. It's a beautiful a book. I mean, oh, we're really proud of it.
1: Yeah. it. yeah, yeah. It, we're really proud of that book.
0: So or Maybe it's just love me, but I definitely just wrote it down. <laughs>
1: Well, the, the subtitle just talks about a uh, set of ideas that we go into called epistemic Uh justice.
0: Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, well, I'm going to check it out and probably others are too, (laughs) now that you've mentioned it. Um, thank you, uh, the three of you for, for joining me for this episode. Um, uh anytime you want to come back you just let me know and we can expand on things um or talk about new projects you've got going and um and i will just also add thanks to the authors who weren't here on the, yeah. on the on this episode for the work that they did with this book um and i so thank you i hope you all who are listening will check this work out because um uh i hope that that the the guests here have established the importance of that if you already weren't thinking in those terms Um, but, uh, I guess I'll just end with a, with a thanks to anybody who's, who's really, um, trying to become better at this and with these ideas and to do the best we can for children because it's, um, it's really vital and important and, and should be close to all of us, but it is really close to my to my heart. um, Also. Um, So again, thank you all. Thank you all for listening. And um, I hope you'll all come back again for another episode of that early childhood nerd. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye
1: bye. That's the show. Now go get your nerd on.
0: This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh...